Our scripture today comes from James chapter 4, and we will be in verse 13 through 17 in your pew Bible. It's found on page 1201, 1201. I encourage you to open it up, follow along, read with me. You can verify the words I am saying are actually from the Bible. Again, that's James chapter 4, 13 through 17. There it's written. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So you read that and you're like, hey, I thought we were in this gray matters series. There doesn't seem to be anything gray about what James is talking about. In fact, in the entire book of James, he's, he's one of the most practical books in the entire New Testament for Christians and what Christian living looks like. It's one we gravitate to because it is so black and white. It gives us very specific and detailed instructions. So where's the gray area, pastor, that we're supposed to go through? Well, the gray area is the future. The gray area is tomorrow. For you see, life is short, and it holds no guarantees. And what our parents told us when we were kids and refused to listen to them holds true today, that tomorrow is not promised today. And as much as we may think about the future and that we know about the future, we are terrible at predicting it. Terrible at predicting it. Nobody predict TCU would play for a national championship this year. <laughs> Not even anyone who was on that team thought they were going to be there. In, in West Texas, we grew up with meteorologists on the TV that we love to make fun of their forecast the day after they made them. Where's the, all that rain you were talking about, Randy? We haven't seen rain in 12 years around here. Why was it in the forecast? Right? Or, or we were far enough north that occasionally there would come forecasts of snow in such a way, hey, we're expecting two to four inches of snow tomorrow. It's on all the broadcasts. And so, and so because 
in Texas, we don't know how to deal with snow like we don't know how to deal with it in Florida. We preemptively shut things down. So everything was closed. And then, does the two to four inches of snow make its way? No, it's but a dusting. It doesn't even collect on the ground. Randy, where is that snow you promised us? Predicting the future is not something we are great at. Although we try it in many different aspects of our life, we'll try it with retirement and pensions and investments in the stock market, but it's its own breed of unpredictability. A whole town called Las Vegas was built just because people thought they could predict the future. I bet that next card that turns over is the very one I need. I'm going to put $50 on that. Sounds a bit foolish, doesn't it? Jesus himself, in the Bible, he tells us about the future, but that we don't know about it. He says there's not a single person who knows neither the day nor the hour that he will return, but simply he is coming back. Yet, despite hearing Jesus' words there, that he is coming back, most of us live and act and plan in such a way that we do not expect Jesus to come back today or tomorrow or probably not in our lifetime. And we would be completely worried and even a tad skeptical if Jesus did return tomorrow. We would suddenly get on social media and start looking at all the reports. Someone saw Jesus. Is that really Jesus? Here's six signs that you would know it's Jesus, someone would put out in a blog post. Other peoples would hear reports of Jesus and say, well, I'm going to go make my way and see if that really is Jesus. And then upon returning, they say, well, I saw the man that they claimed to be Jesus. Here's three good things I picked up from it. And three reasons to still be unsure if it's Jesus. Let's just wait and see. And really the truth for most of us is we would see those reports and go, oh, something's happening over there. It's probably not Jesus. At least we hope it's not Jesus because the plans we made for tomorrow would be inconvenienced if Jesus actually returned. We would be frustrated at his return. Ah, I had this doctor's appointment tomorrow I really needed to get to. <laughs> you know, I've been planning 12 years to go on this vacation, and Jesus shows up, and now I don't get to go on that vacation? Couldn't have waited another week? What's going on, Jesus? See, the trouble is we laugh at this, but we go through life rarely accounting for God. We're laughing because it's funny and true, and it makes us a bit nervous about what I'm going to say next. See, we assume that we're going to have some level of a length of life that, that we're comfortable with. But James here tells us that no matter if we live to be 12 or we make it all the way to 100, that our life, in the grand scheme of everything, is but vapor. 
It is missed. And in a short time, it vanishes. We understand that. We know that. We know that life is short. We've lost loved ones close to us unexpectedly far too soon. And we've seen others live longer lives, but still that life feels short once it is gone. We know life is short, and yet we don't really want to face our own mortality. Because it would cause us to live differently. We also don't want to face the reality of the truth that Jesus is going to return. See, Paul wrote his letters to all of those churches and all of those Christians because Paul, like the other apostles, believed that Jesus' return was imminent. It was an any day, any moment coming. And so, Paul lived his life in such a missional way because he believed with great urgency Jesus' return was upon us. And so we look at Paul and we say, ah, that dude had it figured out. But here's why he had it figured out. He had it figured out because he knew he was saved by grace through faith in Christ alone and that Jesus was coming back and the rest of his life was to be lived for him until he did. But we live without that urgency. Especially when it comes to following God's commands. We treat it like the diet that we're planning to start next Monday. We have time to get to it. We know life is short, but then we assume that there is enough time and Jesus probably isn't coming back in our lifetime, we think. And so the urgency for me to share the gospel with someone I know and love is greatly reduced. But if we lived as if he's coming back tomorrow, the urgency suddenly reappears. See, that's the other thing. If Jesus does come back tomorrow and we were waiting till next Monday to tell someone about Jesus? Guess who didn't get to hear about Jesus from them? Because we thought we had more time than we did. For you see, we often plan our lives without consulting God and, and then just quite simply hope for the best. Try and make adjustments and adaptations as we go along. Most Christians here in America plan their lives without consulting God. I mean, I did it, I, and I still even struggle with it at different parts in my life. Of course, my wife and I have a calendar. We plan for future trips, and, and not in every little thing do we pray and say, God, do you really want us to take a vacation? But we should. We should, and we write things down in pen as if they're made in concrete. I mean, I went to college, and I went there, and I was going to be a broadcast journalism major. I graduated, though, with a criminal justice degree, and then went to Plainview, Texas to go ran, run the family tire business, where I planned on retiring. And I stand here on the coast of Florida today. 
Because God's plans were different than mine. God's plans are different than yours. And his ways are better than our ways. However we know that, we still, in our heart of hearts, if you're willing to be honest with me this morning, believe our ways are better than God's because we've done some of God's ways and they're quite hard and ours are better and easier and make us more successful. Amen? Ours come with less of a struggle. His comes with more suffering. Ours comes with our glory. His comes with glory for him. See, what really happens when we're making plans and ideas about the future and we begin putting them together, we'll make it our own. And then sometimes, not all the time and not most of the time, but sometimes. Sometimes after we make a plan, then we'll go to God and say, please bless this. Please bless this plan for the future I have. And, and James tells us that we're to have humility and not to boast. But pastor, I can see it in your face. Pastor, I'm not a boastful person. I'm pretty humble myself. I don't talk about all the great and wonderful things I have accomplished in my life. Okay, I hear you, but do you make plans first and then ask God to bless them? If so, guess who's not humble? This is what James is talking about here when he's writing about humility and arrogance. I mean, think of the level of arrogance. If it, 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 we're going to take this moment to be super honest with ourselves. Are you all ready to do that today? Okay, so think of the level of arrogance, of ego and pride we have to have because we're fallen sinners. We're wretched human beings who, who have desires of our flesh and of our bellies that are antithetical to everything that is God and good and holy. And so we, as the created being in all of our hubris, go and make a plan for the future without consulting God, and then we take it to God sometimes and say, bless this, or we demand that it happens. Think about that again. We, the created ones, in our mother's wombs, who knows every hair on our head, we make the plans and then go to the creator of the universe, the almighty God, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the very one who writes our names in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. And we go to him and say, this is my plan. Bless it and make it happen. That, folks, is a level of arrogance unrivaled in any other aspect of our lives. And James says this. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James doesn't leave any room for gray in the plans we make without consulting God. He said it's arrogance to even do so. 
for the future is gray for us. But the Lord has a plan for us. And while life is short, he not only has a plan, but a purpose. The plan is for your good, for your ultimate good. Not good and success as to what the world says is good and successful, but what God call, calls good. And what he calls good is what is holy. And what he calls good is his. And the plan he has for you is to make you his forever. Which means those who are in Christ, the purpose he has given you is to glorify him with everything. That your entire life would be a shining star of glory to God. So while life is short, we're not to use God as a rubber stamp for our own plans. Let him guide your planning. Let him guide your living. Because when we begin planning stuff with our sin nature and our desires of our flesh, we're going to plan things that bring us glory. And because following Jesus is hard, we're probably not going to plan to do the things Jesus commands us. But what James is doing is he's calling us into repentance. He says the way you have been living is worldly. The way you have been living is with arrogance and ego and pride. And he calls us to live with a humility, to repent of that arrogance, to humble ourselves and fall flat on our face before God and trust him wholly with everything in our lives, including tomorrow. And then when we repent, suddenly, suddenly our lives begin to be lived for his glory. And we will worship more, and we will pray more, and we will sing louder, and we will study, and we will grow, and we won't wait until next Monday to tell someone about Jesus, but we will run out these doors and tell them as fast as we can. We sing with tears streaming down our faces about the goodness of God being with us all of our lives, yet we don't make plans to tell others about it today because we think we've got time. But tomorrow isn't promised today. Folks, God is moving. He's alive and he's moving and Jesus has promised his return and until his return, his spirit is with us. His spirit is with us. Over the last week and a half, I've watched from a distance the move of the Holy Spirit in Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury University, and my heart has been overwhelmed with praise. I hear generations, young and old, gathering to humbly worship God. And it also brings me to wonder, to wonder about us. 
if something were to happen here and the Spirit were to move, would we join in? Or would we walk out the door because it didn't fit our plans? Or would we just hang out at home because we're a bit skeptical and we need to see a bit more first? comes to the heart of the things. We gather for worship. And when we worship, are we worshiping or are we watching other people worship for us? Are we joining with the heavenly choirs and singing the praises as loud as we can? Or are we listening to the performance that is occurring up here? When we clap, are we clapping because we think the praise band did a good job? Or are we clapping because God is awesome? We have to know why we're doing what we're doing. Because it matters. Because we're either doing things for the praise of others or we're doing things for the praise of God. There is no in-between. And we are not called to lift high man, but we are called to lift high Jesus. That we are to lose our voice singing and singing only for him with all that we've got. We don't show up to watch other people worship for us. We show up to fall flat on our face, humbly before the God, and expect him to do a mighty work in us that day. Because as soon as we walk out these doors, we are fighting a battle against spirits and demons that are coming to attack us to keep us silent. And this is the place God calls you from the world to remind us we are his. We are his now and forever. Because, folks, we can make all the plans for the future we want. But if they are void of God, so is our heart. So we're called to repent from the sins we commit. Repent from not doing what Jesus has commanded us. Repent from not living our lives with the urgency of his return. To humble ourselves and admit there is a God and we are not him. He is the sovereign God of the world, not us. And then we are to sit humbly in the presence of the Lord. Enjoying him, glorifying him. For folks, Jesus is our king. And his love is greater than anything else. And his grace alone is sufficient for our forgiveness. And he is coming again. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Nope, nope, nope. Y'all better be clapping for the spirit. That better not be an applause for me. Um, um, <laughs> and so um, we're going to stand and sing. And I'm going to ask the band to play as quietly as possible through this song. Because God wants to hear your voices. God wants to hear your worship. 
God wants to hear your heart. And so here's your chance to respond to the Spirit moving in your heart and to cry it out to God. Let us sing. Here I am, Lord.